This is Josh Levent, and you're listening to Humans, a podcast for people who want the world to slow down and become more human. Welcome to episode eight. Today, I'm speaking with Tanashe Mashungu. When I met Tanashe, I noticed that his calm and quiet manner hit a curious, passionate, and intelligent intensity that drives him to solve challenging problems. Tanashe lives in Bulawayo, the second largest city in Zimbabwe, and is a software developer, high school teacher, and advocate for smart cities across Africa. What makes Tanashe human is his dedication to making progress, even when the big picture isn't clear yet. He is passionate about using technology to accelerate progress in Africa. Please enjoy our brief conversation. And now I bring you Tenashe Mashungu. I was uh, born um, in Zimbabwe, uh, in Harare, the capital city. Mm -hmm. um, my dad used to work with the Agricultural Finance Corporation. He is a big agro-economist. Mm -hmm. That was his thing. And um, this is probably 1986, so newly independent Rhodesia, mm -hmm. now Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. And um, he used to move around a lot supporting the farmers um, who were in the area all over Zimbabwe. So it turned out that I've lived in most of the places in Zimbabwe. Okay. And I remember my childhood, um, most of his clients uh, or most of the farmers they used to support were mostly white farmers mm -hmm. um, who I think that the term um, they used to describe them as roadies mm -hmm. yeah so that was my childhood we were in Harare uh, moved to another country part of the country called Marundra just all over the place so I've been basically to most of the towns in Zimbabwe I've lived mm -hmm. because it was um, his job would take him from one place to the other where he'd be supporting farmers. Mm -hmm. So that's that's um, my earliest childhood memory, as far as I can remember, of my experiences of Zimbabwe. So I've, I've experienced most of Zimbabwe. I've moved from, pretty much covers the entire map. Did you change uh, schools a lot? I, I did, I did a lot. Um, I think the longest uh, stretch of schooling I, I had was in a place called Bindura, which is in um, the the northern veld of Zimbabwe. Um, I was there for six years um, of primary school, and thereafter I went to boarding school, single-sex, um, Jesuit. It wasn't co-educational, uh, co right. but it was a Jesuit um, high school. And I guess uh, that's where the formation of my character began. It was very competitive. Mm -hmm. And I remember mo most of my classmates were really, like, zealous and... Um, uh, zealous in, in a religious sense? No. Just no, in, they were striving. Striving. Yeah. Because this is, this is only the school that Robert Mugabe went to. Uh -huh. So there was this um, notion, kind of, that we we produce leaders yeah yeah and um that's uh, I, I still talk to them to this point my my classmates back then um in fact one of them recently was representing the opposing uh, council um for the for the election election challenge application that we just recently went through an election in Zimbabwe. so just to give you an idea of those sorts of people 
they've gone on to be yeah pretty amazing so that was a uh, high school at saint francis xavier college mm-hmm. and um I was there for six years after i finished high school uh we're towards a level um i studied mathematics uh physics and computer science i wanted to be an engineer so mm-hmm. this is like a pretty one-track field it wasn't as you progress from like o level to a level it becomes more more specific so i pretty pretty much knew what i wanted to be um where did the interest first start in engineering did you already know that uh, in primary school not so much in primary school um i think this is i'm getting back way back um to the years about 2003 2004 we had a state-of-the-art um, computer science facility yeah. that I remember at the time was donated to us by Muammar Gaddafi. Oh, wow. So this is how far back that is. Like, there are some international events that I can, mm-hmm. I can use to, as, as markers in my life. So yeah. I, w- I, finished, um, I finished high school in 2000 and 2005. Yeah. That's uh, when I applied to go to college in America, and I went to Reed College in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. which was, um, I guess the word to use uh, is a, a salutary experience. Okay. It was very intense, very rigorous, um, and uh, it's one of those experiences you only appreciate or find meaning after you've been through it because mm-hmm. when you're in the thick of it um it's very hard to step outside yourself and and introspect yeah and try and understand what this is all about yeah where i'm heading so i i went to re-college i wanted to study physics mm-hmm. um but i found that their traditional liberal arts curriculum made it so that you know the physics i was taking was purely like theoretical and where you would have wanted to be an engineer right um you could see that well this is training for academia which they're big on yeah they're the college that produces the largest number or have produced the largest number of road scholars um out of any other institution in america so they have that going for them people usually go on to do PhDs but I figured I wasn't wanting to do um, physics beyond like a bachelor right and you you didn't want to be a theoretician you you wanted to be a someone who makes stuff yeah I guess at the time I I was also naive Um, your your academic advisors sort of try to nudge you in the right direction Mm -hmm. because they know better and they're also in academia so it's it's not the kind of physics that i had imagined Mm. um i only came to appreciate it more when um after two years um i was taking prerequisite classes in mathematics and you start to see that all of the mathematical methods and tools um, that we use things like calculus all of these were problems that were inspired by 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 phenomena right. in the natural world right so for instance um, calculus came about when Isaac Newton was trying to explain gravity 
yeah. uh, which was challenging a theory that was widely held at the time when he wrote Principia. Um, right. of People Madeline. used to think about buoyancy or something like that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So he had to devise a method to explain that, no, there's a force of attraction between this planet and every other body mass, um, but there's a, a gravi- the gravitational constant, the universal gravitational constant mm-hmm. that he described as there's always a, like a force of attraction between two bodies. Yeah. In any case, he invented a new method to explain this theory, and right. calculus didn't exist at the time. Yeah. But you can sort of see when, when you've gone through the physics um, that problems in the natural world are what inspire most of the tools that were used in mathematics. Yeah. So I left um, theoretical physics and I studied um, economics instead. Okay. So that so would you change your major at Reed College? I did. Yeah. I, I changed my major. Um, it ended up being an interdisciplinary um, exercise in uh, mathematics and economics. Okay. That's what I wrote my thesis on. Um, at the end of your four years at Reed, it culminates to this one um, thesis that you have to write mm-hmm. um, in order to graduate and you have to defend it um, uh, I wrote my thesis on structural adjustment because when I was in Zimbabwe I think I experienced this um, a structural adjustment program mm-hmm. that um, we had to subscribe to or yeah. that the country had to subscribe to in order to get funding from the IMF and the World Bank. Right. I've heard about this before, but I don't really know what it is. Um, what, what so is so it's, a, it's a set of policies. Yeah. It's like aid with uh, conditionalities, conditionalities that you should meet mm-hmm. as a country. Um, Those are based on funding infrastructure, education, these kind of things? There is education, but it's tr- mainly about trying to constr- constrain your fiscal budget right. uh, and grow your economy. Yeah. Um, I think I, I was really excited about this thesis when I started mm-hmm. uh, writing it. I, I thought um, there was something there. There must be a reason why most sub-Saharan African countries are stuck in this like revolving door uh, cycle yeah. of debt, yeah. um, which is not sustainable at all. Right. And I thought there must be some common threads across all of the countries that adopted this scheme. Yeah. It was bitter medicine. I remember a lot of pain and suffering during that time, economic strife, mm-hmm. um, because they will subscribe, they, they'll prescribe you know, all of these measures that you're supposed to meet um, once they give you aid. A lot of it is, is deregulation as well, isn't it? There's there, there is that. There, right. There's regulation. Um, I was disillusioned um, about what the effect of the policies were intended yep. to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended up being just painful uh, for everyone, right. um, for the common person, inflation started rising. So we're talking the, the 90s, from 95 to about 2000. Yep. Um, 2000 is when they had farm invasions mm-hmm. um, in, in Zimbabwe, and um, the, there was a land redistribution exercise. Yeah. which is still in the courts um, to this day. It's, it's never been fully resolved. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think part of it was um, the ruling party at the time, which is still the ruling party in Zimbabwe to this day, riding a, a populist wave um, just to get support. So 
my thesis, just to get back to my thesis, I, I found that um, the exercise of structural adjustment got any country that, that adopted it stuck mm. in this vicious cycle of debt yeah. that they could never get out of. Right. On, on some macro level, if you zoom out, you see that that was the way that um, resources, natural resources, uh, it was, it's sort of a mechanism in which natural resources are transferred from these poor countries in Africa uh, to the Western world. Right. Yeah. Because, debt uh, repayment. Yes, debt, debt repayment. <laughs> um, uh, one thing that I started, particularly in this thesis, was debt overhang. Mm-hmm. Like what makes it hard for African countries to service their debts, yeah. but they're stuck in this cycle, and it's a it's a cycle which impoverishes the nation, um, but is uh, effective at transferring natural resources yeah. from from Africa to the to the Western world. Right. So, if I understand correctly, when you went into the to, into this research, you actually yes. thought. Uh, or, or you had experience of it being difficult, but you thought maybe there's a there's a reason why it's difficult, and maybe there's a good outcome at the end. But what you discovered was actually Precisely. this is was this, this is bullshit. And this yes, is. Uh, I was trying to find the reasons why there's the the common narrative around all sub-Saharan African countries is that um, they're stuck in debt, they don't know how to repay it, they can't get out of it. So it's yeah. endemic. It's yeah. endemic in that in that in that sense. So by the end of the year, when I finished my thesis, and I realized that, well, the cycle um, is is that because in order to an indicator of um, your your ability to service your your World Bank debt would be um, it increases with the, the there's an import uh, import indicator for imports. Right. And an Im- it's like an import-export ratio. Okay. So if that was an increasing, um, which means you're exporting more, the response from the variable for uh, for a service of your debt would go down. Okay. And this was the common thread. Uh, that was my aha moment, and it was painful as I was writing this thesis um, to start to discover that, you know, uh, it's it's um, it's not linear. Right. Um, it's it's not it's not straightforward, yeah. like that. So by the time I was done with college, I I don't want to be in economics anymore. Yeah. But it was what I majored in. Um, I got my first job out of college with a company called Puppet Labs. Mm-hmm. Um, Puppet Labs was into software architecture and um, systems admin uh, systems administration automation. Um, this happened around the, the years 2000 and 2008 to 2010 where cloud computing became really big. Right. I'd had some experience with computer science um, programming when I was in, in college. This is why I, I bring it back to like Mamur, Mamur Gaddafi <laughs> because when I left Zimbabwe, he was there presenting computers um, to, to Zimbabwe. He was, he had his vices, but he was one of the better-known Pan-Africanists at the time. Right. He, he was always a champion for Africa. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he, the man he was no angel. No. In any case, um, 2004 was when I actually saw this guy in the flesh. And then by the time I was in college, around 2008, 2009, 
um, is when he got killed. Right. Um, so that was the progression. Just to put it in context, mm -hmm. there are those markers that, that I can see in my life. It's like, oh, that was history in the making. I feel like Forrest Gump right now because things are just happening around me. Yeah. So I was working in software now. Um, so just to go back, so you started... Uh, in high school, there was this the, the computers, the computer lab, computer and you lab. you started yes. uh, programming then already. Yes. So so it worked for that. So I, I it was it was fairly easy for me to get back into programming. Yeah. Um, I have to say, Puppet Labs accommodated me because they gave me a data scientist position, wow. which wasn't a role that was widely widely described as such during the time. But there was the, the, their idea was that you're naive enough mm -hmm. to come into a company and figure out um, things we may be missing because we've been trying to work out these software problems right. um, of automation yeah. for so long we miss the the trees for the forest i see so your naivety is something that's of value to you and they kind of wanted you to have a little bit of a bigger picture a bigger picture yes yeah. and they wanted me to bring my experience from econometrics um, right. and mathematics i I found that I used a lot of skill that were non-programming related, yeah. but um, skills that I drew, and this was just like a, a function of you know the liberal arts curriculum that yeah. I went through. Yeah. If you had asked me during the time I was doing it whether I'd have been able to apply that in my life, right. I'd have told you no, that that's, that's crazy. Right. But um, you always get to a point when you're solving problems and you're now working and you look at the skills that you're using that you've acquired off the year, over the years, uh, the narrative makes sense. It comes full circle and you have your hormones. They don't necessarily come to you right away. Yeah. But um, in retrospect, you see why that makes sense, which is why I, I emphasized at the beginning that Reed College uh, was a salutary experience. You only recognize the value after you have gone through the experience of it. Yeah. And then you can join the dots. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to try and join the, do the dots while you're doing something, yeah. which has been a common like theme in my life as I've found, because I left Puppet Labs because I can get a work visa. And uh, I didn't want to go back to, to college right away to, in order to stay in America. So I, I left uh, and I went back to Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, at the time, um, things were really getting tougher. They were sort of on the rebound, but the, some of the industries or sectors that were still flush with money are you know, education because Zimbabweans will sacrifice a lot just to give the children a good education. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was one of the, the sectors of the economy that that was working that is still sort of working yeah uh, I, was, I was working at a private um college it's called midlands christian college uh teaching computer science mm -hmm. but then if you're teaching computer science you become that guy who's like oh our systems are down can you can you can you can you figure it out mm -hmm. so you ended up doing sysadmin stuff and teaching and they require you to, you know, coach sport and mm -hmm. and uh, you know, just be a mentor to, to the students in all of these extra extracurricular activities. Yeah. Uh, one of uh, the things I majored in when I was in college at free college was theater. Uh -huh. So I was, I was a minor in theater um, and I did a lot of work around performing identity. I took directing classes. Cool. Um, all of these are skills that I 
I was apprehensive of of sort of losing. I didn't want them to atrophy mm -hmm. as I became more and more computer science oriented. Right. So the academic institution and the academic life provided an opportunity to apply myself in all these acts and that was the essence of a liberal arts education. Yeah. Again, I could not tell you what I was doing when all I was right. taking theater. Yeah. I just had a passion for it. Yeah. But um, it's skill that uh, carries over to other aspects of my life and I can impart it to students. Um, it only made sense when I was now teaching students. Yeah. Um, so that's so you, were you, you were also, were you running plays with the students or? Yes, yes. No, yeah, cool. uh, we had a big pr production like the oh, first cool. year that I, I came with a production of uh, Oliver Twist. Oh, wow. So, um, I'd be teaching computer science during the day and later in the afternoons when we had the students would be training theater. Um, mm -hmm. I guess that, that's, that's probably the essence of that quote from Steve Jobs who says that at, at the intersection of the liberal arts and, and technology, the fine arts and technology, that's where amazing things happen. Yeah. So I, it's, it's something I only realized after having applied it. Yeah. Um, so all of the skills I learned at Reed College were definitely enough or not. So um, I, as teaching computer science, um, still doing systems administration automation. And then I remember the institution uh, acquired a, a, a state-of-the-art network, fiber network. Mm -hmm. So it ended up that they sent me to Paris to train to be ad an administrator for 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 the school right. uh, with uh, HP Hewlett mm -hmm. Pocket, which just acquired Aruba. Right. Um, so I was in Paris uh, for two weeks doing my training. I I met up with um, some guys within HP who were writing a new application programming interface mm -hmm. um, for automating network administration. Now, right. notice I'd had a history in systems administration automation. Yeah. Now they were starting to bring the same technology to to network administration. Yep. So I was well placed for that. And um, I was now I'm part of the, the community of Aruba. It's called the A-Heads. Okay. Um, where we were writing an, IP, an API to, to automate network administration, yeah. Yeah, much in, 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 in the way that we did with systems administration at Puppet Labs. Mm -hmm. And this was around 2010, 2011? Yeah, this is more recent. This, is, um, this was 2017, so oh, last okay. year. Oh, okay. So I've been doing that, um, training teachers as well to design their educational curricula. Yeah. Um, that's part of the work that I do. I use uh, open source software like Moodle. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I showcased uh, this work that I do with the World Economic Forum, and they invited me to the World Economic Forum on Africa, mm -hmm. uh, where when I got there, it gave me the capacity to start thinking about bigger problems, right. um, bigger problems beyond my, my, my immediate existence, my immediate needs. Um, well, it, it's been such a great opportunity. I feel privileged to be able to do this. Mm. Yeah. And um, fast forward maybe six months later, um, I was invited to the annual meeting in Davos, mm. meeting like-minded uh, like people, uh, meeting, you know, pioneers in whatever fields they're in. 
meeting other people, meeting new people from around the world. Yeah. And um, this year, I'm back in Geneva again because we're doing a smart cities pitch. Uh, we're trying to 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 figure out a way to integrate our fiber network. So I have the the whole networking uh, administration experience. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to get some integration between uh, the fiber network and the electric grid in Zimbabwe so that we can have a smart grid. Ah, cool. uh, so it's always a, a process of, okay, I have a problem and this is my tool set. How can I merge these things even though I don't have the correct expertise? That can be learned um, at a later stage. Yeah. But that this is how th the, the idea phase comes about. Mm. I'm actually really curious about this smart yeah. cities because you, you work now in Harare. No, yeah, I still work um, in 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 Bulawayo, uh -huh. um, but uh, the smart cities was for our hub in 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 Bulawayo, and um, uh, we're trying to get the largest uh, fiber infrastructure company in in Africa, which is Liquid Telecom. Okay. These guys have laid fiber from Cape Town to Ethiopia. And when they stopped at Ethiopia, there's strife in Somalia. They got a request from these uh, Somali boys who said, we want to join this startup community. Mm -hmm. That's so big. We need to come online. So mm -hmm. I remember that the CEO of, of Liquid, um, Strive Masiwa, he has this quote where when he was asked and um, the, the company technicians were asking, well, should we do this? Um, he said, uh, we have a duty to do it. So then the fiber was extended to Mogadishu. Wow. Yeah. So they, they've been they're pioneers in their own right. Um, yeah. And they're helping so many people. Africa, if it weren't for them, Africa would be the continent that's going to get left behind in this fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. But there, there are some real efforts out there to ensure that we don't um, leave behind like a, 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 a whole a whole a whole chunk of of our human population so um laying fiber um in in the city i guess yeah. that's also that means you know connecting every building with yes. fiber yes yes so last mile fiber mm -hmm. and is there is there some some smart city technology that's that's already deployed or just being deployed not Wha not in um not in africa yet um not that i'm aware what, of what's the what do you think is the first smart city technology that's that's going to be wide, widely implemented because you know here in europe we talk a lot about uh and there was a session a few days ago at this uh, um, annual shaper summit where somebody was talking about the smart um waste disposal and yes. you know putting have, having meters in the in the in the municipal bin so that the waste disposal companies know yes. when their bins are full exactly and so i remember on. remember that right you were there yeah yeah so um the first technology some of them may have already been implemented but they're all they're all oriented towards communication and connecting mm -hmm. people yeah. so there's this wave of connection that's been happening in africa mobile yeah. money etc um, there hasn't been anything more substantial beyond connecting people. Yeah. Uh, Although that, that, that's that's pretty substantial, right? I mean, uh, yeah. M-Pesa is, is is this huge company now yeah. uh, doing uh, mobile payments and um, has really allowed people to leapfrog. People who didn't even have bank accounts can now make uh, transactions using Absolutely. mobile Absolutely, I can't. I can't. Um, I can't overemphasize or I can't underestimate the power of 
mobile banking and what what it's done to to include uh, you know financially marginalized uh, people it's done a lot for financial inclusion mm. in growth um, I would like the next wave of um, tech enabled uh, infrastructure to be the integration of solar solar power because electri electrification is still kind of a big deal yeah. um, in Africa and that's where I'd like it to go and that's right. why I had drafted this proposal mm -hmm. that if we integrate our fiber networks with our electric grid Mm. Um, we have some basis of, of, of setting up the infrastructure to integrate solar uh, renewable energies into our, our energy consumption cycle. Right. Yeah. That's, an, that's really great. Yeah, because, or, or, or let me ask this as a yeah. question, it, it, is local production a part of that? Because I've seen that's the potential of solar power that actually you don't need to have large uh, power plants anymore because solar yes. can be quite distributed. Exactly. Now, I, I think the trend so far has been um, uh, sort of an, a need to, to, to deploy solar power solutions on a large scale, like create a solar park. Mm -hmm. In Zimbabwe and any other African countries, we're not manufacturing solar panels or, or solar tech. Mm -hmm. It just end, ends up being this exercise for whoever gets the contract to collect economic rent right. because they're not manufacturing anything but they will get paid for installation and that that that's that's a, a one of um, the things that makes our systems in Africa vulnerable to to abuse yeah vulnerable to abuse by we have bad actors corrupt officials there are all these opportunities for them to collect um, economic rents in, in 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 the value chain and and yet they're not providing a lot so we would like to see solar energy um provision uh on a on a household by household level so that we we democratize um energy energy provision and energy inclusion cool. yeah okay so you're doing the smart city pitch um when is that um, we've already done it. Ah, you did it. Uh, yeah, ah, right. We've already done this it. This is why you're um, here. Yeah, yeah. It was a pitch that uh, I gave to Anil, mm -hmm. um, who's global head at uh, global head of the internet, global uh, global head of of the Internet of Things at Cisco. Uh, oh wow. Cisco group of companies. Uh, he said something really interesting um, in in my session with them after I'd done the pitch. He said, um, "All of these." impoverished countries where there are problems that need to be fixed is where the next wave of innovation is coming from right. or is going to come from because you can't solve large problems um human problems if you're in a if you're in a city that's comfortable so they had to move their headquarters to bangalore where they have lots of people in india they're trying to figure out how to bring urban services to the majority or in the rural area just to solve the problem of rural to urban migration. And um, they figure that we're going to, or in those parts of the country, urban services will start to be outsourced. You no longer have to go to the urban capital of your country in yeah. order to get basic um, urban services. These can be outsourced and um, accessed remotely. That was yeah. really profound that it's 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 when you're 
in a, in a problem that you test iterations of whatever prototype of a solution you're trying. Yeah. And if you're in a country that's like severely disadvantaged, your solution will be battle hardened by that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we're running out of time, but yeah. uh, I just want to kind of zoom out a little bit and see the big picture. Like you are 32. 32, correct. And you, you've done amazing things. You're, you're, you're kind of trying to, and, and doing, you know, really big picture things, trying to pioneer, you know, um, yeah. Uh, or, or, or help drive a kind of economic kind of renaissance in, yeah. in, in Africa. And if, if you had to kind of give advice to other young people for how to, how to get involved with these, kind of with these kind of challenges, young people who want to make a difference, yes. what advice can you give them? Uh, what's that Samuel Beckett quote that um, uh, ever tried, ever failed, try again, no matter fail better I think I got the sequence wrong it's um, <laughs> ever tried ever ever failed no matter try again fail better yeah mm. I missed something which is essentially you never know how your efforts on an individual level fit into the bigger picture but in retrospect when you zoom out you start to see um, the value that you're providing. So there's always reason to stay in the fight. You may not know what you're doing, but if, you're, if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing well. And this is sort of where the, the aspect of resilience becomes very important. Um, you may not know what you want to do in life, but you, you absolutely must be active And, and, and intentional at, 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 at engaging in work, engaging yeah. in, in, in good labor, in, in, in the struggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, just, I just thought of that right now. But I hope that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for coming on my podcast. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Um, Josh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tinesh. Sure. Today's quote is from Nelson Mandela. I have walked that long road to freedom. I have tried not to falter. I have made missteps along the way. But I have discovered the secret that after climbing a great hill, one only finds that there are many more hills to climb. I have taken a moment here to rest, to steal a view of the glorious vista that surrounds me, to look back on the distance I have come. But I can rest only for a moment. For with freedom comes responsibilities. And I dare not linger. For my long walk is not yet ended. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of this conversation. Please share this podcast with other people who might enjoy it. Make sure to also leave a review in your podcast app if you can. That helps other people find great content. I don't run ads on this podcast, but there are two ways that you can support the show and keep it going. The first is by contributing directly to the production cost on Patreon. Statistically, very few people support podcasts directly, which is why most shows resort to running ads. 
If you want to make sure media is made for you and not to please advertisers, then I suggest you pay for media that you consume. And statistically, out of every 10,000 listeners, 200 might support me directly. If these 200 put in $20 a month each, this will become a professional podcast and will continue indefinitely. If you would like to be one of these 200 people, go to patreon.com slash joshlevent. The second way to support me is to make use of my professional services. I am a leadership and life coach. If you would benefit from some constructive conversations about your life and work, go to joshlevent.com slash coaching to find out more about my coaching services. 